turn to Genesis 40, Genesis chapter 40, and if you didn't get a, uh, an outline there in the back there, uh, next to my deer. I don't know if you heard that this morning, Jack. I, you didn't get your deer. I've had my deer for 43 years. <laughs> Exodus chapter 40. Genesis. <laughs> well, I thought I made head, headways there real fast, didn't I? <laughs> See. Who? Did I fall asleep or something? Genesis 40. Our text this afternoon, whatever day, time of the day it is, finds Joseph in the midst of a great trial of faith. He's been mistreated, misrepresented, falsely accused, imprisoned, in the midst of all that Joseph went through. He remained patient and he kept his testimony intact. Did not see himself as a victim, but as a victor, waiting for his liberty. Now, just looking at what we've seen already in Joseph's life of trials, that he was called to endure, he was treated unfairly by his own brothers, sold into slavery, became a slave in a foreign land, and he was falsely accused of of attempted rape and imprisonment. And through it, he refused, again, to be a victim. So many people want to be a victim these days. Not Joseph. Joseph knew what the writer of Genesis records for us in Genesis 39, when it says there, the Lord was with Joseph. And that truth alone, I think, made the prison bearable for Joseph. Now, this is not an unfamiliar story, but I want us to look at Joseph in his prison This afternoon, his experiences there have much needed lessons for the people of the Lord. And this passage finds Joseph shut up, shut down, and shut off, but still serving the Lord. This passage finds Joseph in a prison of pain and of suffering. In that prison, he was forgotten by many, but Joseph was not forsaken by the Lord. And so the path of Life leads us into prison situations from time to time. You know, we all face some hardships and trials along the way. Uh, That is the way of life. John 16, 33 tells us that we shall have tribulation. Sometimes we feel like we're shut up, shut down, and shut off too, just like Joseph was. And we feel that we're forgotten in that prison of whatever it is that we're in. And many times... We are forgotten by those around us. And even though man may forget us in the prisons of life, the Lord never forgets and He refuses to forsake us while we are there. Let's look at Joseph in the prison and and look at the lessons that are revealed in these verses. First of all, we notice prison duties. Prison duties. Genesis 40, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. 
And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in the ward. While Joseph waits in the prison, he gets some company. He's not the only one in prison. Two men, former highly placed servants of Pharaoh, are thrown into prison with Joseph. These two men are Pharaoh's butler and his baker. Now, the butler was Pharaoh's cupbearer. When anything was to be eaten or to, to uh, be drunk, uh, was be brought before him, the drink that he was brought, uh, the cupbearer would taste it first. How would you like that job? Now, some places that wouldn't be too bad of a job, you know? Somebody's got, you know, I tell my wife, somebody's got to taste this before we take it to church. So I take on the humble uh, spirit of a cupbearer to make sure that you don't uh, get poisoned. And so uh, that's what a cupbearer was, and that's what the butler was. If anybody died from that bad food or from poisoning, well, it'd be the cupbearer, not the pharaoh. And these cupbearers, and you say I, you say I said cupbearers because <laughs> apparently there was some times when the food wasn't so good, and they needed a new cupbearer. They were close to the rulers they served. Uh, they were so close that they had conversations with them, and sometimes the cupbearers were uh, let in on some of the, the royal secrets. They were highly trusted servants, and some way they were the most trusted servants in the court. And they actually literally held the Pharaoh's life in their hands. And we remember also Nehemiah was a cupbearer. In Nehemiah, you read about that as well. So you have one fellow here, the butler. And then there's the baker. He would have been over Pharaoh's kitchens. Uh, He was responsible for cooking that food that Pharaoh ate, and he too would have been a trusted servant in Pharaoh's household. Apparently there had been a problem with Pharaoh's food. And these men got into trouble. And so they were cast into prison. They were put out of their positions And they're locked up. And when these men got into prison, they receive preferential treatment. They were treated like the celebrities of our day. I thought about that, and I thought, maybe they could have done a reality show. Uh, The butler, the baker, and the telling things to come, or maybe the Pharaoh's kitchen, or uh, cupbearer's nightmare. Uh, Those could be all uh, titles of... uh, television programs that these fellows would be uh, doing. I don't know. But they even would have a servant assigned to them to minister to their needs. Joseph was that one of those servants. He was handpicked to be the servant of these men while they were there. And on the surface, that may seem to be just another assignment for a slave in a prison. But in reality, this is the providence of a sovereign God at work in Joseph's life. God had just brought Joseph face to face with a man that God would later use to secure Joseph's release from prison. Now we should never discount the seemingly small twists and turns of this life. I've said this before. There are no accidents with God. 
Some people would say, well, oh, this is just another job for poor old Joseph to take care of. What no one could see is how God could use a small matter in a great way down the road. And the same is true in your life as well. Never discount the small moves of life. What we see and what the world sees, humanly speaking, is chance, a chance encounter. Well, I just happened to run into so-and-so, right? (laughs) I don't think so. Not for a Christian. You don't just happen on anything. God has you there for a reason. God has you there for a purpose. What we might see as an accident or a coincidence is really God working at your life in a very great way. You see, God orders the minute details of our lives. There are no accidents with Him. In Psalm 37, 23, many of you memorize this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Proverbs 16, 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. You may make a plan for your day. You may make a plan for what you're going to do tomorrow. You say, I've got a plan. And this is what we're going to do. But you know what? It's the Lord who directs your steps. Because your plan may not come to be without some interruption. And you might get upset at that interruption when it was really the Lord who interrupted you. Let me point out also something that seems insignificant here, but in God's mind, there are no insignificant details. God is interested in the little things, and there are some numerical insights in these first three chapters of Joseph's life. I want you to notice here in Genesis, back in Genesis 37, the number one is a predominant number. The number one. There was one father. There was one favored son out of all the twelve. There was one that was favored. There was one son who tried to rescue Joseph. There was one son who sold him into slavery. Now I know all all the brothers got, got the blame for it. But there was one who, it was his idea. So number one in chapter 37 is very significant. In chapter 39, the number two is predominant. Two is the number of opposition, oppression, enmity, and division. Joseph is separated from his father. He suffers the oppression of slavery. There is a division between a husband and a wife. There is a division between Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. Uh, Two times we find instances of exaggeration with Mrs. Potiphar and the workers and her husband. We find two places of oppression, a slave in Potiphar's home and then a prisoner in Egypt. We find two masters in this chapter, chapter 39, Potiphar and the prison keeper. Well, we come to chapter 40, we find the number three is dominant. This is the number of completion and divine perfection. God was perfecting Joseph's character and training. He was about to bring to completion his trials. Notice in this chapter, three people are focused upon in this chapter. We're going to later see there are three branches. There are three stages of the grape that are mentioned. The bud, the blossom, and the grape. 
The cup is mentioned three times in the dream. There are three days. There are three baskets. And I want you to keep these threes in mind as we go through chapter 40 and then 41. Okay? But in particular, chapter 40. Now, all that may seem very insignificant. You may not even notice it. Not too long ago, we had a study of threes, didn't we? Uh, the thrice trumpeted truths in the, gospel, in the Word of God. And it's very interesting how many times things come in threes. Well, you'll find that here in chapter 40. And we might think, well, that's not very important. That's very insignificant. But God, again, is interested in the little details as well as the big picture. So we have prison duties. Secondly, we have prison dreams. Look at verse 5. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. So here is Joseph checking on his charges of of who he was supposed to be serving. And they were pretty sad. And they tell him they have dreamed dreams and he, they can't figure out what they mean. Ever had a dream and just can't figure out what it means? Don't try. <laughs> Don't even try. You can dream things and you can make them mean anything you want to, I think, sometimes. But here, Joseph hears about them dreaming, and he must have made his mind up to go back to his own dreams. His dreams looked as though they were derailed, or at least delayed. So Joseph encourages them, and he tells, uh, uh, he tells them to let him know the dreams, because he knows God who can give the interpretation. And so the butler tells Joseph his dream and receives a favorable interpretation. Look at verse 9. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And the Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner in which thou wast his butler. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray, unto thee unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For I indeed, I was... For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Well, the baker then hears that uh, this interpretation was a good interpretation, and so he tells his dream to Joseph as well. But the interpretation is not so good. And Joseph humbly tells him to trust anyway. Notice verse 16. It says, when the chief baker saw the interpretation that was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was 
I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for the Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang it on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. I think it was not the cupbearer's nightmare, I think it was the baker's nightmare. Uh, that was a pretty uh, terrible re- interpretation, wasn't it? But that's what he had. So put yourself in Joseph's place. He had been given a dream from the Lord. And in his dream, he was going to rule someday. His dream was yet to be fulfilled. In fact, from all appearances, it would seem now that Joseph's dreams were shattered. No way they're going to come to pass now. So what does he do? Does he get angry? Does he give up? Does he say, I'm finished with all this dreaming, let me alone? I don't want to hear another dream. I don't want to hear anything about dreams anymore. And even though Joseph finds himself in one of the waiting rooms of life, he does not lose his grip on his dreams or on the God who gave them to him. In fact, Joseph is actively looking for ways to glorify God even while he waits in prison. I think this is a tremendous lesson for those of us who are redeemed. Today, there are going to be some times along the way when it seems like God has forgotten all about you. There are going to be some times when it seems your dreams have been derailed as well. There are going to be times when you find yourself in one of the waiting rooms of life. Kind of like waiting for your doctor. You ever notice how long you have to wait? And sometimes in a spiritual sense we think, God ever going to work? Is God ever going to do anything for me? What do you do when there was a great deal to when uh, there has a great deal to do with what God will do for you later? Well, our duty in the prisons of life is to actively seek ways to glorify Him. Our circumstances might be bad, but our God is good. We need to learn how to glorify Him when the sun is shining and when the rain is falling. We need to look for ways to point others to Him even though our own hearts are breaking. If He is the God of the mountain, He is also the God of the valley. And He's the God, or He is the God of neither. Over in 1 Kings, it tells us the Syrians thought the God of Israel was a God of the hills. And so they attacked Israel in the valley. They soon learned that God was God regardless of the terrain. It would do us well to learn that truth as well. He is God when dreams are on track, and He is God when they seem to have been derailed, and He is God when we need to glorify Him as God in spite of the things we face in life. So we notice prison duties, prison dreams. Notice thirdly, prison demeanors. Prison demeanors. Go back to verse 6 and 7. It says there, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? Joseph is going about his duties. He saw that his two Fellows were very sad, and I can understand their sadness, can't you? 
After all, they had been removed from very prestigious positions and they had been cast into prison. But they were only there because Pharaoh was mad at them. They were really short timers. They'd be getting out soon. Joseph, on the other hand, was there to stay as far as he was concerned. Yet Joseph was not sad. In fact, he's concerned about their attitude and he reaches out to help them in their prison experience. Again, what a tremendous lesson this is for us. Isn't it true that most of us can see no further than our own need? Something happens to us in our life and we say, Oh, brother, is it going to happen again to me? Why has this always happened to me? Man. And we get all down in the dumps and we get depressed and we think, oh, life is terrible. After all, you know, nothing good coming out of this. Can't see past our need. Isn't it true that when we're in the prison of our lives, we don't really have time to be worried about the needs of others? Because all we can think about is how bad we hurt. Isn't it true that most of us are pretty self-centered when it comes to dealing with our burdens and our problems? Do you know that that attitude, uh, that an attitude like that is not what the Lord wants from His people? He wants us to lose ourselves in the needs of others. He wants us to look around for someone else to help. He wants us to be like Jesus, who willingly laid down his life so that others might get the help they needed. Now, that's not easy, but it's biblical. The fact is, when you and I get our eyes off of ourselves and all of the pains and the needs and problems, and we begin to set our hearts on the business of helping someone else, who has time to to think about your own needs, See, that's the, I think that's the thing that we need to get a hold of. If we would start looking to help others, we would forget about the sadness about our own trials. The Lord wants us to be a blessing, even when we're in prison. I think there's another lesson here that we should not miss and don't want to miss. Joseph may be in prison, but and his dreams may not seem to been coming about, they seem to be shattered. It may seem that he's in prison to stay, but Joseph still had joy. Joseph still had joy. Most people have problems. And they have no problem being sad when they have problems. And then when the problems are kind of gone away, well, then they're kind of happy again. And we have no problem being joyous when we have no burdens. You know, we can praise the Lord. We can laugh. We can smile. We can be joyful because our need was met. But, you know, it takes someone filled with genuine faith to praise the Lord when the bottom falls out. Joseph is in prison, but he's happy. Why? Well, he's serving the Lord and the Lord is blessing him. Yes, blessing him in prison. Remember, 
the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Anybody can praise the Lord, be filled with joy when everything is going their way, when the bills are paid, when everybody's healthy and there's no problems. It's easy to say, hallelujah, praise God, glory to God, things are great. But when you have problems, when you're sick, are you still saying hallelujah? Are you still glorifying God? Give us more people like Joseph. Or even like Job. Remember Job? He could praise and worship the Lord in the midst of extreme hardship. Give us people like Abraham who went to offer his son Isaac and he called it worship. Give us more people who know that he is just as much God in the storm as he is on the sunny day. Give us people who worship and praise him in spite of everything. So we find Joseph, Joseph's joy. Genesis 39, verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I think of a man by the name of Thomas Edison. Charles Edison was his son. And he gives us a glimpse into his father's faith with an excerpt from his book entitled The Electric Thomas Edison. He tells us one December evening, the cry of fire echoed through the plant. Spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within moments, all the packing compounds, the celluloid for records, the film and other flammable goods had gone up with a whoosh. When I couldn't find Father, I became concerned, Charles says. Was he safe? With all his assets going up in smoke, would his spirit be broken? He was 67 years old, no age to begin anew, to start over. And I saw him in the plant yard running toward me. And he's saying, where's mom? Where's mom? Go get her. Tell her to get her friends. They'll never see a fire like this again. And at 5.30 the next morning, when the fire was barely under control, he called his employees together and he said, we're rebuilding. One man was told to lease all the machine shops in the area. Another was told to get a wrecking crane from the railroad company. And then almost as an afterthought, he added, oh, by the way, does anybody know somewhere where we can get some money? (laughs) My wife asked me that all the time. Later on, he explained, you can always make capital out of disaster. We just cleared out a bunch of old rubbish. We'll build bigger and better on, all, on these ruins. And with that, he rolled up his coat for a pillow. He curled up on a table and he immediately fell asleep. Now, that's the kind of prison demeanor we need to display when we walk through our own difficult hours. Do you have that kind of peace? After you've just lost everything to a fire? May God help us to learn that He's always God and He's always good, regardless of how we are treated by life. And then we come to prison disappointments. Down in verse 20. It says, And it came to pass the third day, when, which was Pharaoh's birthday, 
that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up his head, lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler into his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. And it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed, and behold, he stood by the river. That's in chapter 41, verse 1. The dreams of the butler and the baker were fulfilled just as Joseph had said they would be. The butler was restored to his office. The baker was executed. And now Joseph had asked the butler to remember him to be restored to his office. But he told, it says here he forgot him. He forgot all about Joseph. Now I can imagine Joseph heading back to his cell when the butler was released thinking, well, I'd better pack and I'd better get ready to go because this guy's going to tell Pharaoh that I'm in here and uh, he's going to tell him there was a miscarriage of justice and I'm going to be set free. I'm sure every time the prison door opened, Joseph thought, well, people are coming, coming to set me free. But the butler forgot him. Days turns into weeks, weeks into months, and months into two long years. As it says in chapter 41 and verse 1, all the time Joseph is still in this prison, disappointed, waiting on God to move in his time. The prison disappointment served to teach Joseph two valuable lessons, and I think they're lessons we need to learn as well. Number one, never put confidence in man. Never put confidence in man. You say, I shouldn't trust anybody? Well, Joseph learned that he couldn't put confidence in man. He tried to get help from human resources, but it failed. And the fact is, there is no real help from man. Our only help comes from the Lord. It may, he may use people, and we want people to be trustworthy, and we want, people to be, uh, there, we want to have people around us that we can trust, but ultimately... They're just humans. And God may use them, but behind every provision is the hand of God. Ultimately, you need to put your trust in God. Ask Him to use people, but don't put confidence in man. Secondly, our timing is not God's timing. I think this is a big lesson here. Many times we get to thinking, well, this has got to happen. If it doesn't happen, then it's just never going to happen. Well, it might not. Because what we plan and what God's plan is for us may be two completely different things. Joseph learned, once again, that God's unseen hand moves us along the hidden pathway. He would like to have been freed long before he was, but it wasn't God's time. And when the time came, Joseph was released, and not a minute before. We need to learn the same truth. Our God is seldom early, but He's never late. He's always right on time. You know, when, he, when did He feed Elijah? Morning and evening, right on time. When did He rescue the three Hebrew boys from the fire? Not when the way would have liked, but right on time. When did He help Daniel? Not when Daniel would have preferred it, but right on time. When did Jesus come to his men on the sea on the stormy night? 
Not when they thought they needed Him, but right on time. There are going to be some disappointments in our prison experiences as well. The Lord will not move when we think He ought to, and often we get discouraged. We'll reach out for human help, and then we'll find that it always falls short. And that's a disappointment. And when those times of disappointment come, we either get discouraged or we look for a place to quit. When we should be like Joseph. We should realize that our course is set for the glory of God and we need to serve Him faithfully. We should, never, we should ever remember that even though we may feel forgotten, we're never forsaken. In His time, He will visit our prison and He'll set us free. Now this is a bad place to leave our hero, Joseph, here. He's done the right things every time he had a chance, but he's suffering for righteousness' sake. And he's standing falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, and he's also forgotten. Joseph cannot see it, but the wheels of providence are slowly advancing. God is slowly but surely lining up everything in Joseph's life just the way they need to be. And soon the plans and purposes of God will be very clear. The same is true in your life as well. Some of you are looking at disappointments and discouragements and you do not know how to handle them. The best thing you can do is to bring them to the Lord, learn to leave them in His capable hand, and ask Him for the joy and the grace you need to survive and thrive in the prisons of life. There is help for you in the Lord. You might feel forgotten, but I hope that you realize that you will never be forsaken by Him. Never. Let's pray.